By the way, if I'm trying to enunciate clearly, on top of everything, I had to have a tooth extracted this week. <laughs> In preparation for an implant. Yeah, I was, uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like I'm not enunciating clearly, and if that's, so that's what's happening. Um, okay, our gospel lesson today is taken from the gospel according to Mark, chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased, and there was a dead calm. He said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Well, I think we all have very personal different recollections of of history and changes in culture and stuff like that that we've experienced. And then I think over time we experience that things are are different, but we remember, you know, the trigger points perhaps differently. One of the things that I think is different that for me that I've noticed that probably over the last 20 years is this emphasis on this the concept of like empathy. Okay, that this seems to be something that to me is only like the last 20 years. And certainly when I was a little kid, this was not something they talked about a lot. It's only to me in like the last 20 years or so that people were talking a lot in terms of empathy and in terms of don't use you language, only use I language, you know, in a, in a conversation about emotions. And um, I think a part of the trigger for that might have actually been, as I recall it, uh, when Bill Clinton ran for president, remember one of the things he, he said was, I feel your pain. And that got a lot of news. People talked about it. I feel your pain. And it was kind of different. It was very unusual. Because up to that point, we didn't expect political candidates to say, I feel your pain. We expected them to talk about whether they're going to raise your taxes or build highways or, you know, stuff like that. Not, not, not this I feel your pain thing. And to me, that was kind of a watershed moment in people talking about empathy and people talking about you know always when you're in confrontation always use i language you know and not and not you it sounds blaming and all that kind of thing and somehow in this past 20 25 years or or so um we've gotten to the point where it seems to me that to a large extent we we're defining reality in terms of our feelings through the lens of our emotions. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it can get to an extreme to the point where if you take that to an extreme, then it means that like, well, that the only interpretive lens for the world is how I feel about it. You know, you know? and so, you know, truth is embedded in, in, my, in my feelings. And this idea of of reality and and how we feel about it is kind of central to this story. See, it, what happens in our story is that the you know Jesus gets in the boat with his disciples. They hit this storm. The boat's being swamped, and then the disciples go to Jesus, who is asleep, and they go to him and they say, "Do you not care?" 
that we are perishing. And one of the things about this is you can read that sentence a couple different ways, but uh, when you look at the Greek sentence construction, the implication is that the care is attached more to the word we. Okay? In, in other words, like it could be, don't you care that we're all, you know, that the boat's going to sink? Or, but don't you care that we are perishing? Don't you care? Don't you care about us? How, how can you be asleep? Don't you care about us? Like I said, in the, in the Greek sentence construction, you would attach the, the word not caring to the we. So are, are you not caring about we? Are you not caring about the fact that, that we are so concerned? And, and so, so they're terrified, and Jesus is asleep. And this happens. You know, I, I think that one of the things we think about with, with our friends is when we're really worried about something, we, we hope that our friends are going to worry about it as, as well, all right? They're, at, they're not actually asking Jesus to do anything about it. They didn't say, Jesus, wake up and stop this storm. They said, don't you care that we're perishing? See, they, they actually didn't ask Jesus to do anything about it because it says uh, just a few verses later, you know, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? When he actually stops the storm, they're surprised. So this, this wasn't the expectation in, in waking him up. They're not like, okay, let's wake Jesus up and he'll, stop, and he'll put a stop to this storm thing. It was, wait a second, Jesus, our leader, is asleep when we're panicked. We're terrified. And he's asleep. And, and we just don't want him to be asleep when we're terrified. But sometimes I wonder if that doesn't carry over into the way we think about God in our tough times. That, you know, when we're having a tough time, when we're really worried about something, when there's something that is really weighing on our minds, we kind of want God to be as worried about it as we are. You know, you, want, you know God, I'm worried about this. I need you to be worried about it with me. But I really wonder if sometimes when we're really worried about something, Jesus isn't actually just asleep. Because I'm not sure that my top worry is actually God's top worry. You know, I'm not sure that what I am worried about most in my life is actually what God is worried about most for my life. You know, and I think this happens all the time, right? Parents, kids, all the time. You deal with that, right? Your kid is absolutely worried about, oh, I don't know, you name it, but I'm sure there's something, okay? Absolutely worried about their shoes or uh, that, that they're going to wear to school or what's in their lunchbox or, or whatever. They can be absolutely worried and they're, they're upset. They can throw a fit, that, right? They can have a screaming, yelling match about it. And you as the parent are going, yeah, that's not really worth it. <laughs> you know, that, that's not really something to get all worked up about. You know, and, and so I wonder if that isn't actually a lot of Jesus's, you know, r response to some of the problems that we have. And, and maybe when we're really worried about something, we ought to, to think and put it in perspective and say, okay, you know, but before I really want God to make this the most important thing in God's life, um, 
we should wonder, is this really what God is worried about for me? How is God looking at it? That when I'm all panicked and when I'm all worried and when I'm all stressed about what's happening, is God actually worried? Is God actually concerned? Is God actually looking at my situation and worried about the situation? Or really, is it more like this where God is worried about the fact that they're worried and kind of saying, why are you so worried about it? I mean, look at what, remember what he says to them, why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? He wasn't worried about the storm, he just rebuked the storm, peace, be still. Storm stops. I don't think there's a Greek word for eye roll, but in my, in, in, in my image of this situation, I think Jesus throws some serious eye roll when he's getting rid of the storm. Yeah, yeah right, okay? All right, storm, just, just go away. Stop. Leave the area. Why are you afraid? See, they're, they're afraid of the storm. We're afraid of the storms in our lives. But I think Jesus is telling us to think differently about the things that are around us, the storms that, that we're facing. See, we tend to get very wrapped up into our circumstances. We tend to get very wrapped up in, in thinking about what's going on around us in the moment. And I think it's quite possible that Jesus has a different concern. I think it's quite possible that Jesus is more concerned about where we're going as opposed to what our circumstances are in the moment. I think he's more concerned about where we're headed. There was, uh, I was recently reading some articles, and this is kind of stuff, this kind of thinking has been around for a, long, for a fair long time in, in psychology. And one of the things about, by the way, when we talk about psychology or other sciences, you know, I, I believe everything's created by God, and we are created in the image of God. And so I, I believe, actually, I mean, my, my, train, you know, my, my degree was in, in chemistry, was in a science. I believe that when you learn about sciences or psychology or all these things, you're just learning more about how God has worked, how God works. I think when you lear- study psychology, uh, you're learning about how we are created in the image of God and how that works in our brain. When you study biology, life processes, you're seeing the hand of God at work. You know? so, so I don't think these things are ever in conflict. I, I think that God created it all. It is all God, and, and everything we study um, you know, illumines a little bit about, about how God has worked and about how God has created us. And there's this professor, a psychology professor at Cornell, whose name is uh, Tom Jilovich, and uh, he's done a lot of work in something that psychologists have talked about for a long time, and it, it's this thing they call self-discrepancy theory. They come up with fancy words for things that, make, that are pretty simple. And, and the idea is simply this, that, that we get a lot of stress when we have this, we, have, we know who we are, they call it our actual self, and then there's these two different kind of forms of what we could be. They call one the ought-self. And the ought self is the person is, is the person who's driven by other people's like expectations of you, okay? So you know I ought to, I should have, you know, etc. And so it's it's the the ought self is other people's expectations, and and there's stress when our actual self isn't you know in sync with our ought self. But there's another self they talk about, which is the ideal self, and the ideal self is is who I could have been, okay, who I could be. And that, 
and that there's a great deal of stress when your actual self is, there's a discrepancy between that and your ideal self. Now, the psychologists don't bring God into it, but when I hear ideal self, I immediately think God, okay? When I hear ideal self, I immediately think of that as being the person um, God intended us to be. That when we're created in the image of God, that that's our ideal self. Who is my ideal self? It is to be anything and everything that God created me to be. That's my ideal self. And um, one of the things that is interesting about this is that the ought self, they said, is, is rooted in your actions. So when you failed to do what you ought to do, it's generally, okay, I should have done this, but I did, but I did that instead. And they said most people get over that fairly well. They said most people get over that because you can, you can do things to rectify it. You say something you shouldn't, you can apologize to a person. You can fix a mistake. But they said most people, when they talk about dying, when they talk about reaching the end of their life, their biggest regrets have to do with their ideal self. Because the ideal self is rooted, failing to be your ideal self is generally rooted in inaction. It's the, I always wished I had learned music. I always, you know, I always wish I had gone back to school for something else. I always wish I had tried this other career. That, and, and so you're so they tend to be rooted in inaction. I didn't become who I could have become. And so one of the things that um, the professor says, he says, the failure to be your ideal self is usually an inaction. And in the long term, the inaction regrets stick around longer. The inaction regrets stick around longer, that you are haunted more, because you can't get the past back in that, you know. I, 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 it would be great. I would love to be 25 again, you know, and, and, and go back through things. That's one of the things I've, I've always felt. I think, I think most people uh, want to be 25, but knowing what they know at 55 or whatever, you know. You know, you, you want to, can I go back in time, but I don't want to forget everything I've learned. <laughs> along the way. I want to take the wisdom that I've gained, but go back and, and have a do-over. But, you know, God can't fix inaction. You know, God can forgive, right, you, you mess up, but you can't fix inaction. And let's go back to the start of the story. The start of the story was really simple. Jesus says, let us go across to the other side. And the disciples get in the boat to go to the other side. Because there's an adventure that awaits them on the other side of the sea. So the important thing was actually that the disciples said yes, and they climbed into the boat, and they headed for the other side. This is what's important. That they didn't stay on the shore where they were. And the storm that came up in the middle was just this distraction while they were doing what it was that Jesus had said that he wanted them to do, which was get to the other side. 
And then they got in the boat, and Jesus went to sleep. They got in the boat, and Jesus went to sleep because they were on their way to this other side. The disciples forgot. They lost faith. They lost confidence that Jesus' intent was to get them to the other side. And so they could have just gone to sleep as well until they got there. See, God's going to get you to where you need to be for God. And we worry so much about what's going on around us. And we don't, perhaps don't worry enough about where we're supposed to be going. About where we're supposed to be headed. And we need to just understand that the destination is what we need to be thinking about. The destination is what we need to worry about. And we need to have confidence that says that God is going to get us to where God needs us to be. The key part of the story, like I said, was they got in the boat. So get in the boat. <laughs> you know, when Jesus says, let's go, get in the boat. Get ready to go. And, and Jesus will get you there. And the stuff in between, take a nap. It's not the biggest concern. The other side is the concern. Amen.